In this series, we're looking at some titles, titles of identity and titles of mission. And today's really a special morning in the series, and that's because we're going to look at the last public address that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. Now, there are some chapters that come after the passage we're going to look at, but this is the last time Jesus, in a public setting, tells people who he is. Now, before we read the passage or before we go to the slide and you figure out what it might be, why don't you take a minute just to think about that question? Suppose you were going to write um, the story of Jesus' life or you were going to tell a friend who Jesus is and what he came to do. What would be the last public address you would remember and you would share with that person? I'll give you a little hint. The first public announcement of Jesus' birth was made by shepherds and the last public address, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And that's because there's something in that picture, something in that description that tells us who Jesus is and tells us how he feels about his followers. You know, the other descriptions that we've looked at thus far and some that will follow in the series, they're all kind of impersonal. For example, I'm bread. I'm a gate. I'm a vine. I'm a road. But good shepherd is different than all that. It has emotion to it. It has relationship with it. Well, let's read the passage together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. And I'm going to read the first 18 verses or so. And let's see how Jesus, in this last public address, speaks to people and says, come and see, come and hear who I am and what I've come to do. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs over it in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I will lay down my life for the sheep. 
I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. We're going to work through that passage, and we're going to start with the obvious main point, the theme of the passage, and that is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. But you know, there's something strange as I read through. I'm not sure you picked it up, but you're going to pick it up when I tell you. And that is, Jesus begins the description that he's the good shepherd by contrasting what he does and is with the other leaders of the day. Now, you have to understand, back in that culture, the word shepherd, the title shepherd, was fairly common. In fact, many leaders were called shepherds. And so in our world, we'd say things like this. Leaders are shepherds. Coaches are shepherds, right? Coaches are shepherds. Parents are shepherds. Pastors are shepherds. People that lead others, people who are looked up to and followed by others, they're all shepherds. And Jesus begins by saying, and there are some bad shepherds out there. There's some bad coaches out there, and we know about that in Philadelphia, let me tell you. There's some bad politicians out there. There's some bad parents about there. You can read about them. There are lots of bad leaders out there. That's how Jesus begins. He begins this chapter, which is all about the good shepherd, by contrasting who he is and what he does with the shepherds that are not good. In fact, we actually see that in a verse that I read at the beginning. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Well, that raises a question. If Jesus is the good shepherd, and if Psalm 23, right, is all about the good shepherd, we looked at that back in January. If Je Where in the world did he get this idea, and why would he contrast good shepherd with bad shepherd at the beginning? Ah, because not only do we read Psalm 23 in the Old Testament, we also read Ezekiel 34 in the Old Testament. And my guess is when Jesus is talking about the good shepherd in John 10, if you don't believe me, you check it out. You read Psalm 23, then you read Ezekiel 34 sometime today. And you tell me if Jesus didn't have both of those passages in mind. Here's how Ezekiel 34 begins. And keep that in mind as we go back to, to John 10. Son of man, so God's talking to Ezekiel the prophet. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And then he goes on through the rest of the chapter to describe what bad shepherds do and what those bad shepherds were doing and what bad coaches do and what bad parents do and what bad leaders do. Here's what they do. They don't provide for the sheep. Their main concern is to provide for themselves. If a sheep needs, you know, some kind of therapy, if a sheep needs to be healed, they don't heal the sheep. They let the sheep that are wounded just kind of fade away. They don't lead them to good pastures. They lead them to whatever's left so they can have the good thing for themselves. They're abusing and using the sheep. They're not protecting, leading, and serving the sheep. That's what bad shepherds do. Well, why in the world would Jesus in John 10 have thought about bad shepherds? 
Well, if you've been reading through the Gospel of John, I know some of you have because you've told me, you know some of the surrounding incidents that have happened. And it makes perfect sense. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. Remember, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. What's the response of the leaders? What's the response of the religious leaders? What's the response of the Pharisees when Jesus heals the man born blind? They bring him in. They question him. They threaten him. They bring his parents in. They throw him out of the synagogue. Here's someone, a sheep, that was healed. And rather than the shepherds caring for the sheep and thanking God for the healing, they say, who did this? Let's go get him. A little earlier in John, a lame man is healed. And what happens? The religious leaders are upset again. They start accusing Jesus of being not from God, but from the other side, being the evil one. In that passage, or in a passage before, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And instead of the shepherds, instead of the leaders saying, oh, this must be a gift from God. This must be the Messiah. This must be the one that was promised in the Old Testament. And what did he say? He comes to give the real bread. He's the bread, unlike the manna. The manna points to him. What did the religious leaders do? We can't believe he's taken all the people away from us. And they began to gather around and try to find reason to accuse him and get rid of him. So when all these things are happening, the shepherds aren't feeding. The shepherds aren't leading. The shepherds aren't protecting. The shepherds aren't healing. The shepherds aren't going after the sheep that are lost. They're doing the exact opposite. So in the midst of all of the context of bad shepherding, Jesus says, I'm not like those guys. I'm not like that. I'm not like the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. I'm like the good shepherd of Psalm 23. That's the contrast. And that's what Jesus says at the beginning of John 10. But after the contrast, he then actually spells out some characteristics. He lays out some characteristics of the good shepherd, right? And uh, I, I read an in interesting article over the weekend, and uh, it may be helpful for you to think about this. What do you think of more, your sin or God's good shepherd? What do you think of more, what you need to be doing to remedy or manage your sin, or are you focusing more and thinking more about the good shepherd who comes to give his life for you? You know, so often... We're so focused on our sin, and we need to think about it and repent of it and turn from it. But the best way to do that is to gaze at Jesus, not to keep looking at your sin. And it's not to look at all the little things we need to implement and all the applications we need to do. It's to look at the good shepherd and follow him. What are characteristics? I was trying to think of one example that would summarize them right up front, because I know some of you are tired, lost in hours, that so you may doze off in the next few minutes. Uh, so let me give you the overarching view. I'll ask you a couple questions. Many of you parents here, you've maybe been around other parents. Have you ever been to an award ceremony or a celebration or a championship banquet where kids are receiving awards and trophies, celebration, you know, varsity letters, you're getting something, right? And as you're there with other parents or you see the parents, do you ever see a, a tear form in a parent's eye? When their child, their daughter walks up to get the award, you ever see a tear streak a father's face when a son gets the MVP trophy, when the championship's awarded? So we've been there, right? 
Have you ever been in a courtroom? When a sentence is delivered? Or to a prison? When parents go to visit a child? If you have, my guess is you've seen tears again. Huh. Tears at an awards banquet celebration. Tears at a trial, at a guilty verdict, at a prison. Why is that? Parents know. Because the day you say hello to your child, you say goodbye to your heart. And from that moment on, your heart and your child's heart are welded together. So the old cliche is actually true. A parent can only be as happy as her saddest child. That's the emotion of a shepherd, right? That's the emotion of someone who cares for a sheep, willing to lay down. That's the idea. That's the overarching emotion of the good shepherd. Now let's tease out a few of the characteristics. The first one I want to mention uh, appears in maybe a strange context. It's all about naming. A good, the good shepherd names his sheep. And he says, they hear my voice, and they know my voice, and I know their voices. Uh, that reminds me, I have two grandsons, Jeffrey and Carter. And occasionally, they will come to Mr. B's, you know, to play on the you know, tunnels up there. And I hate that sign that says, I'm not allowed on. But I'm not allowed on, but they're allowed on. And uh, one of the things I've noticed is that Mr. B's is often crowded. And they'll call me if I'm upstairs, Hey, Pop, come on down. I'll go down. I'll go in Mr. B's. And I'll be climbing all around. Uh, but I've noticed a couple things. I notice if they're way up top and they call my wife, she immediately knows their voice, even though they're like 20 kids on the amusement. I also noticed if another kid yells for his mom or dad, the mom comes in from the room behind and notices her son's voice. I can pick out my grandson's voices too. And in the midst of all of the other noise, in the midst of the screaming and yelling, when they talk, I hear them plainly. It doesn't always work the other way. Sometimes moms come in and call for their kids and their kids play dumb. But, but I know their kids recognize their parents' voice and they're deliberately not paying attention. But isn't that interesting? There's a name recognition. And the name recognition signifies familiarity. The name recognition signifies intimacy, right? Those kids have heard those parents' voices before. They know them. Those parents have heard those kids' voices before, and they know them. All the other voices fade into the background. But let your daughter's voice speak. Moms, you know it, right? Grandmothers, grandpops, when your grandchildren speak or cry, you hear their voice and you know their voice. Here's what Jesus is saying. They're my sheep. When I call their name, they know my voice. And when they call my name, I recognize their voice. Now think about that for a minute. You know, it's one thing at Mr. B's for mom to be sitting out talking to some other moms, eating some pretzels or drinking a Coke, and to hear her daughter cry and she go into the tunnel room. It's a whole different thing 
for the creator of the universe who knows every star by name, who at this moment recognizes over 7 billion people individually. When you speak, that God recognizes your voice. When he speaks, do you recognize his voice? So let's end the naming part by asking a question. Whose voice do you hear above all the voices of our culture, right? We're surrounded by voices. Voices in the room, voices in the atrium, voices on TV, voices in our heads, right? We have voices. Whose voice do you hear above all the other voices? The voices you hear are the ones you're most familiar with the ones you have the greatest intimacy with. Jesus says, you're in that group for me. In response, put him in that group for you. Huh? Naming. Well, the second part isn't just naming. There's also a leading part that goes. In the verses, I'll put them up on the screen here. There we go. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I'm not sure why, but this was like the first Bible verse I memorized as a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until I was in college. And yeah, I didn't know hardly anything about the Bible. I didn't know too much about Jesus. But some reason I memorized it, and I memorized it in a slightly different version. Here's what I memorized. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Maybe it's because I was into abundance, right? So I need some abundant life. But, but my thought back then, I'm sure, carries the same connotations in lots of people's minds today. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I've come to bring the life to the full. Here's what I think most people mean. Your life will be full of more stuff. I'm following Jesus, so I get more stuff. Okay, well, let's uh, see how that works. If that's exactly what Jesus means, how does that square with John chapter 4, a few chapters back, where Jesus is speaking to a woman at the well, and Jesus said, right, she's drawing water, and Jesus asked for a drink, and then Jesus says to her, if you knew who it is that's asking you for a drink, you'd ask me for water, and I'd give you living water. Now, did Jesus mean he was going to, like, put plumbing in her house? Like, you know, he's going to run some pipes there so she'll never... No, he, he's not talking about the physical water, right? She's thinking, and the whole incident's kind of on a physical level, but Jesus is speaking on a different level. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Josh talked about bread. Now, when Jesus says, I'm the bread, does he really mean like he's a, he's a loaf of bread? And no, he's using a physical example to speak of something spiritual and something of a quality way beyond that. I think it's the same idea here. In fact, we could almost reverse what we normally think. I think this is what it means to have life to the full. Not that your life will be full of more stuff, but that you'll be able to live life without all that stuff. You see, eternal life is a quality of life, not just quantity of life. 
John loves to talk about life and eternal life, but that's a quality, not just quantity. Eternal life doesn't just mean your life goes on forever and ever and ever, even though that's true, but you get a different quality of life. In fact, it's even in the word. Do you know in Greek, there are two words for life. Now, actually, you know both of them, even though you don't think you know them. The first Greek word for life is the word bios, from which we get the word biology, right? That's physical life, right? With bios. But then there's also the Greek word zoe. Uh, we name girl zoe, right? That, that, that doesn't mean that only they have biological life. It means their life fills up your life, right? It's a quality of life. Now, let me just ask you, even though you probably don't know Greek and we don't have the Greek up here for you to read, let me ask you, do you think Jesus is saying in this verse, I've come so you can have bios? Or is he saying, I've come that you may have zoe? How many of you vote bios? Oh, how many of you vote zoe? Now, most of you don't vote, but yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Jesus is not, the people that are here to talk, they're alive. They have life. He's saying, but I've come that you'll have life, life to the full, life that will allow you to live without all the stuff you want to fill your life with. It's a quality of life. It's not just a quantity of life. That's pretty cool, right? Well, there are other things, but let, let me mention one more. Jesus gives provision. Jesus provides for us. Next verse. Here's what he says. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, Carlos spoke about, the, spoke about the gate last week, and he did a great job going in gates and out gates, entering another kind of existence. And all week, I've kept thinking about gates that I know of, right? Jesus, the good shepherd, and the gates are right in the passage with that. In fact, Carlos said, what can I talk about? You talk about gate. Well, now that he's done, I could talk about gate, even though he couldn't talk about shepherd. And let me tell you about what I was thinking. I hunt in Montana with my son-in-law, usually. Not like usually, like every other year I hunt in Montana. And the one thing that I always forget, but I realize as soon as I get there, when we head out the first morning, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gates on the properties that we hunt. And they're not normal gates that have a neat little latch. You pick it up and you push it open. These are barbed wire gates. They're made out of wire. And sometimes they're hard to open and of course, the guy drives, you got to get out and open the gate. Now, the gate, had, you know, you kind of pull it up and you got to stretch the barbed wire. And sometimes it's long. And you got to take another piece of barbed wire and you pull the top one around. And it's hard. And I try to send my son-in-law out as often as I can. Uh, you got to wear gloves. Your hands get cut up. Why do ranchers put up all those gates? To regulate the sheep. To regulate the cattle. What are they regulating? Well, they're regulating for their safety. We're going to keep them out of this field and put them over in that field. Maybe there were some, um, you know, crops that some, you know, poison weeds or whatever. You got, to, you got to keep them out of there. You also have to know where the cattle are. So you keep them in this pen. You've got to let the grass grow back so they'll have a good pasture to go to next season. Gates are to regulate the animals. The shepherd regulates his sheep. He regulates his people. He moves us intentionally, not to make our lives miserable, even though it feels like that sometimes. He regulates our lives for our benefit. He regulates our lives 
for safety and protection and provision and all those different things. He provides. But you know, the ultimate provision isn't pasture. The ultimate provision's in the, past, in the passage, but it's not in that verse. It's in this verse. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the contrast there, Jesus says, the hired hand, you know, the wolf comes or the wolves come in. What's he do? He takes off. He's not risking his life battling some wolf, right? What's the good shepherd do? Who loves his sheep? The good shepherd goes to battle with the enemy. And Jesus tells us here, he won't just risk his life. He will give his life for his sheep. And there we are back to the paradox again. The shepherd became a lamb so that the lost lambs can return and ultimately become shepherds. Hmm. I read a, a quote this week that's still bouncing around in my head and causing me to take pause when something like this. Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus screamed those words so that we would never have to. That's what the good shepherd does. Why have you forsaken? Why? So that he would never have to forsake us. The good shepherd substitutes his life for our life. That's amazing, right? Remember who the good shepherd is again? The creator, the sustainer, the one who knows the stars, the one who gives life to every human being, the one from whom all goodness comes. That's the one who said, I'll trade places with that one. And like a sheep led to slaughter, the good shepherd, like a sheep led to slaughter so that we can have life, not just quantity, but quality. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the chapter is kind of interesting. So it begins with the good shepherd. It begins with a contrast. And then it also talks about um, the characteristics but if we go back through the passage, we can tease out a few points about what a good sheep is. You ever think about that? We can go back and look at the good sheep. Now, we don't have a lot of time to go through it. Our focus should be on the good shepherd. But let's go back through the passage and just think through, what would it mean to be a good sheep? Well, here's what it would mean, first of all, priority. Now, we've been talking a whole lot about the sheep being the priority of the shepherd. Well, don't you think if the sheep are the priority of the shepherd, then the, sh then the shepherd should be the priority of the sheep? That would make sense, right? Sometimes we don't treat Jesus like a, a shepherd. We treat Jesus, Jesus like a consultant. You know what a consultant is? Here's what a consultant is. A consultant comes in, kind of does a little assessment, does a little evaluation, and then during the exit interview, they give you a list of recommendations. Here's some things you need to do. Now, let me ask you. Do you have to do what the consultant says? Heck no, right? 
Um, you pay him all that money, fine, you gave me recommendations. You can take or leave the recommendations, right? So to, he comes in, or you know, the consultant comes in, does the analysis, does the evaluation, prints out the recommendations, sit down during the accident, hear all the recommendations, okay, goodbye, and he leaves. Well, how often we treat the good shepherd like that, though, right? He's, he's not the good consultant. He's the good, yeah, the good consultant means you come to church, you go to your small group, right? Go to your ABI, whatever you're going to, to get inputs from scripture. And what do you do? You take those things as a list of recommendations and then you decide whether you'll take them or leave them. What would happen to the sheep if they took the, uh, took the shepherd's direction as recommendations? I don't think they would make it too long. Not just priority, trust, trust. Now, again, you're gonna trust the good shepherd the shepherd is your priority, right? For the sheep, can you hear the shepherd's voice as a priority above the others? And then trust. Spring is coming, thank God. We had a taste of it on Friday. What the heck happened yesterday? With spring will come the birth of lots of little critters. The birds that make their nest in my awning that tick me off. And the little geese that run around the golf course that irritate me there. My life is surrounded by little critters being born in the spring that irritate me. But one thing that I've noticed about all the little critters that will soon be popping out in the next few weeks, you ever notice how carefully they follow their parents around? Um, you know, a little duck will cross the road if it's heavy traffic. All little ones just keep coming, right? You better stop. The, you know, the, the mother goose goes into the pond. All the little ones are going in soon. Uh, I'm not sure if they follow the father, but they follow the mother. That's how it goes. Why do they do that? Because of, I know imprint and all that, right? but it's trust. If they really thought that the mother, if they really thought the parent was leading them to danger and death, my guess is they wouldn't be following. There's trust. Well, are you following Jesus like that? Are you trusting him to do that? Is it a consultant where you decide whether you'll apply or not? Or is there trust that allows you to actually obey, which is the third one. I don't want to say much about obedience because uh, if you look at the good shepherd, it'll make all the sense in the world to just follow the good shepherd. That's what obedience is, to follow the good shepherd. I just want to say this, though. Obedience is not agreement. It, here's what we often do. We read something in the Bible. Jesus tells us to do something. We then think, you know what? That makes really good sense to me. That makes perfect sense. You know what? I will do what Jesus said because it makes, wait a minute. Who's the um, jury there making the decision? Obedience is when it doesn't make sense to you. Obedience is where you, doesn't, where you don't think that that's the wise thing to, then it's obedience. Obedience isn't just agreement. That means you're still taking or leaving the recommendations. Obedience is when it doesn't make sense. The good shepherd, the good sheep. And the passage ends with a description of good shepherds. Now, here's what I mean by that. At the end, Jesus says, I've got sheep of another pasture. I've got sheep of, and I'm going to get them. And I'm going to bring them. They, they hear my voice. I'm going to get them. There'll be one flock and one shepherd. If you fast forward to the end of John's gospel, or go back to week two in this series, you'll remember that we talked about John 21. And in John 21, one of the hearers in this passage that heard Jesus the good shepherd would have been Peter. And what does Peter hear in John 21? 
he hears Jesus ask him a question. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Who feeds lambs? Shepherds. Huh. Peter, be a shepherd. Second question. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Hmm. Peter, be a shepherd. Third question. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. Feed my sheep. What's Jesus saying? As you experience being a sheep following the good shepherd, you now become shepherds. And we become those that reach out to those in other places and other folds and other contexts. And as we follow the shepherd, we call them to come follow the good shepherd too. The good shepherd, the good sheep, live out those qualifications and be a shepherd. You're qualified if you're a good sheep. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this passage. And Lord, even though we don't know the depths of the metaphor, even the little surface that we taste brings conviction, but also healing to our minds and our hearts. Lord, may we live out those principles as we look to the good shepherd. Help us to be good sheep and show us where we need to shepherd others as we lead them to the good shepherd. We pray in his name. Amen.